Welcome to The Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani, and I am here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about in the show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. So I heard from someone recently because uh, I asked for an update on his situation and he wrote back and said this hey paul here's the update i recently broke up with my girlfriend and it was one of the hardest things i've ever had to do it ended up being more mutual than i expected but she was still shocked by it i think she was afraid to confront the problems because of how hard it is i feel heartbroken and sad quite a bit but i know deep down it was for the best so i guess it's time to let the healing begin Anyways, I wanted to thank you again for the info on the podcast. It really means a lot that you take the time to do this, and I appreciate it very much. Thanks for everything. Okay, you know, I get a letter like this, and um, who can't relate to this? Who can't relate to a breakup? Who can't relate to the feelings of uh, loss that happen? It's, it's almost like you're grieving the death of something. A breakup is the death of a relationship. Because we put so much time and energy and even money and all of these things that we invest into a relationship, when it ends, it hurts. It's not fun. Sometimes it doesn't hurt. <laughs> there are times when ending a relationship is a <laughs> huge relief. But, I mean, when you're in it, when you're both in it and you've both invested yourself into it, you create almost a third entity in the world. I know it sounds a little weird, but you have you, you have the other person, and then you get together and you create this third thing, this relationship. Then you go out into the world and you present to the world this third entity, this new being that's made up of you and the other person. And the world responds to you and the other person. Like my first girlfriend of 13 years, I'll call her Jill. You know, there's Paul and Jill. You know, I used to go ballroom dancing. Hey, there's Paul and Jill. Hey, Paul and Jill are here. Hey, Paul and Jill. Or, hey, Paul, where's Jill? Or, hey, Jill, where's Paul? It was that entity, that, that thing that was us. It was an identity. Paul and Jill made up that identity, that form that shows up and is part of other groups, other social groups, and other friendships. Hey, we're going to go out with another couple. Bill and Mary. Or Sarah and Shelley. Or John and Joe. <laughs> we, you know, we go out with different couples, and we go out and do couple things. And we identify ourselves to this entity. We identify ourselves to the form that we created together. It's like we're birthing a form to be in this world. It's a little odd, but um, I think you know what I mean. You, you go through life, uh, when you're single, it's just you. It's just Paul. Hey, there's Paul. How's your love life going, Paul? Well, I am single. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. No, it's, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, I know, but it's being single, you know. <laughs> really? <laughs> I thought being single was okay. Well, yeah, yeah, but you know, you're lonely, you know. Like, what? I wasn't lonely until you said that. <laughs> no, most people aren't like that. They might say, hey, let me find you a date. Hey, you want to go on a blind date? No, I want to enjoy being single for a while. And then you have some of your friends that go, oh, must be nice. I'm married. And you're like, what? Well, you're married. You have someone to share your life with. Yeah, but it's not everything it's cracked up to be. Take my advice. Never get married. They'll say things like that. Okay, I'm going way off here, but... The idea is that uh, when you're in a relationship, you have this new entity, this new identity, and this new form that is made up of you and another person, or depending on the relationship, many other people, but typically <laughs> two people, and it's not just you anymore. It's us. It's we. 
And when people look over at you, it's them. It's those two. Hey, where's your boyfriend? Where's your girlfriend? Hey, where's your husband? Where's your wife? Hey, where's your significant other? And, you know, we could be together for months or years. And then one day there's a breakup and everyone's like, what happened? What What's going on? Why did you guys break up? You guys got along so great. Or, oh yeah, I could see that coming a mile away. Or whatever. I mean, people are going to have their opinions on your breakup. But most people are going to be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? How are things? So I, I wrote to this person that uh, had written in before. And I think I had a show on this particular subject matter that uh, he wrote about. And I was just following up saying, hey. How's it going in your relationship? You know, what happened? And he said he broke up. And he's sad. And like I said, you can relate. I can relate. What's it mean? It means the changing of your identity almost. Because it feels different. It used to be us. And now it's me. It used to be, hey, look at those two. And now it's, hey, look at him. Or look at her. And it changes. It, it changes you inside. It feels like a chemical change because you feel it. You feel the loss as if someone died in your life, which is also something that happens when you're in a relationship. Sometimes your partner, sometimes your spouse dies. And now you have to shift into a new identity again. Even though it's really just still you, you are still in there. This is kind of where I'm going with this segment is that we don't want to lose ourselves in a relationship so much that we stop identifying with ourselves. This is why it's so important to continue to nurture your own spirit, your own soul while you're in a relationship. Because if and maybe when it ends, where are you going to go from that point on? Who do you have to go back to? Sure, your friends can comfort you, your family can comfort you, and you can get all this comfort from outside of you. But what about inside? How do you nurture that? That's why it's so important when you're in a relationship to be in one where your partner encourages you to nurture yourself. Not to prepare for the gloomy end, but to keep that connection with you. So you don't lose yourself in the relationship. So you don't lose your identity of you. Now, you could have gotten into a relationship and found your identity. I mean, there are people that uh, go out into the world and they're sad until they're in a relationship. And then they're suddenly happy. And I think, and forgive me for what I'm about to say, but uh, that's not exactly healthy. It's not healthy to depend on someone else to supply you with your source of happiness. It's not healthy because that puts a lot of pressure on someone else that when they can't be there for you on certain days or weeks or even months, if, they're, if they leave for a job or if you guys split for a while, then your source of happiness is gone. And that's not good. So we need to reroute where our source of happiness comes from to inside of us. And how do we do that? We have to keep nurturing ourselves when we're in the relationship or, you know, of course, when we're not as well. When we're not in a relationship, if we feel down because we don't have someone, then we need to look inside and figure out why do I feel down? Why do I need someone so bad to fulfill me? Why can't I be fulfilled Without someone, you know, at this time, it doesn't have to be forever, but right now, why can't I be fulfilled? Why can't I go a year without being in a relationship? Why can't I go five years? <laughs> I know for some people, it might seem like forever. Five years? Never. And for some people, it might be like five years. I'm still, I'm still doing that. I'm on my 10th year now. I'm still single. But there's a nurturing that has to take place in yourself. You have to treat yourself as if you were the last person on earth and you were the only one you could talk to. I know it sounds miserable <laughs> or maybe it sounds wonderful. I don't know. But depending on where you are with this, just as an exercise, if you were the last person on earth and you had an endless supply of food and cars, I guess you wouldn't need money and uh, 
you could just do anything you want. But you had to be with yourself, of course, and you got to do anything you wanted. What would you do? How would you nurture yourself? You might think, ah, but there's no people. How am I going to experience life without sharing it with other people? Right. That's the meditation, I guess. That's the challenge, is coming to a place in yourself going, how would I experience life without other people? Would I even enjoy it? You may not. You, you may just enjoy being around people. You may be very family-oriented. You may be very people-oriented. But just for a moment, think about, okay, if I was by myself, no one was around. I mean, I, I, the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, I have endless food. I think I'd find a nice pickup truck somewhere, pack up, go drive into the mountains and be with nature for a while. And just be with myself for a while, because what, what else am I going to do? There's no one around to impress. <laughs> There's no one around to talk to and bounce ideas off of. What am I going to do? I don't know. I think I'll just be with nature and enjoy some quiet time. All right, but what am I going to do tomorrow? I'm not talking about tomorrow. I'm talking about today. You have one day. How about that? One day, no one's around. What would you do to nurture yourself? Okay, come back now. That nurturing is important. That's the kind of nurturing I mean. Really, you have no choice but to nurture yourself and be with yourself and just rediscover, reconnect with who you are inside. And when you do that while you're in a relationship, then if and when the end comes, you have something to return to that you appreciate, that you really enjoy inside yourself. Yes, you'll miss their presence. You'll miss that identity that you shared with them. You'll miss that form that was created in this world that was unique to the both of you. But that is the end of something that can begin again, either with them or with someone else. But it doesn't mean the loss of you. That's what I want you to do is nurture that you inside of you. Treat them as your best friend. Treat them as the inner child that's in there that wants to enjoy life that doesn't want to grow up and feel all the stress of work and falling in and out of love and you know having money or not money there's all kinds of stresses that happen when we grow up and we're an adult and now we have to deal with the real life but there's still, there's still that child inside that doesn't really want all of that that just wants to be taken care of that just wants to be nurtured and loved let's just think of it like that or if you're not into that inner child stuff, just think of it as your best friend. Just think of that person inside of you as your best friend. And be nurturing. Be loving. And this letter that says, you know, it's the end of my relationship, I'm sad. There is a grieving process. You must go through it. Feel sad. But know it's the end. Even if you don't know it's the end. Meaning, oh, I broke up, but there's a chance we could get back together. Don't put those kinds of thoughts in your head. I know it's sometimes hard to do, but when you are stuck on those thoughts, there's a chance. There's a chance that we could get back together. It leaves you in stagnation and it keeps you depressed. I mean, it causes you to feel bad because you think, okay, today maybe she or he will call. Today maybe they'll call and maybe we can get together and just talk. Maybe we could just talk. And then it doesn't happen. So you go to bed and you feel like, oh, that, that stinks. <laughs> now I'm in bed and they didn't call all day. Well, maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow is a chance. And then you just go through this roller coaster of emotions. And I'm all about just saying, you know what? It's over. I'm done. They left. They're not coming back. And, and really, you get to a place of they're dead to me. Ouch, that's not fun to think about because that means it's final. That means there's no other thought beyond that. Well, if they're dead, they're not coming back. I say, yes, go for it. Believe that. Believe that they're not coming back so that you can find closure. You know, there was a point I reached in my first relationship after we, we broke up like two or three times, I think, after our first breakup. Um, I reached a point of, that's it. It's over. I'm done. I'm done with it. I don't want to think about her, and I'm just going to live my life as much as I can and because 
it's not going to happen again. And I was able to let it go. And like two months later, I get this call out of the blue and it's her. <laughs> and she goes, hey, uh, how you doing? And I'm like, hey, I'm doing great. There was no like desperate sound in my voice like, oh, hi, how are you doing? And it, it wasn't me trying to impress her. It wasn't me trying to go, oh, my God, there's a chance because I had, I had already closed it off. She was already, or at least this relationship, was already dead to me. And so I was in a better place. So I, I heard from her. She called, and she's like, so uh, you left a book over here, and uh, maybe you want to pick it up. And I was like, really? <laughs> I was like, that's the reason you're calling, that I left a book over there? And she goes, well, it's not the only reason. And we talked a little bit, and, and she said, you know, so have you been doing good? I was like, I've been doing great actually. And she was surprised. Like she was surprised. I wasn't saying I miss you so much. I've been like that. I'm not making fun of that. <laughs> I've been that way. I've been that person who like miss you so much. But at that time I wasn't. And like I said, I had reached closure. It was the death of the relationship. It was over. And here she was two months later and she is figuring out if I'm still interested in getting back together. And I was like, okay, I was in a space where I was happy, comfortable being on my own, but I was also, you know, not in a relationship. So I figured, okay, we had a good time when we were together. Let's get back together and see what happens. And I had no desperation. I had, I had no feelings that uh, I needed to fulfill a void in me or anything like that. And I felt very healthy getting back into the relationship. And it turned out to be a good decision because we stayed together quite a while. But the idea is to nurture yourself enough so that you're not dependent on someone else for your happiness. You're not dependent on them to supply you with those good feelings. Because those good feelings have to begin in you so that you can bring the best you into a relationship. When that girlfriend and I had broken up uh, the first time and then she called two months later after I had reached closure with the relationship, I felt good. I was nurturing me. I felt healthy. That way, when we got together again, it wasn't like, oh, I've been waiting for this day. I'm going to run right back into her arms and she's going to love me and I'm going to love her and everything's going to be wonderful. It wasn't like that. We got to experience each other uh, from a new perspective. Once again, it was just new. Even though we knew each other well, it wasn't from a place of need. It was a place of, hey, I want this. I don't need this, but I want this. I want to try this out. And that makes a big difference. I recently had to edit this book I'm writing uh, on the chapter on you know healing yourself before going into a relationship. How healed can you be before getting into your next relationship? Because if you can heal yourself a, a whole lot where you don't have this pull or this draw and this need to fill a void in you, if you can heal yourself so that doesn't exist, it might be hard. But if you can do that and really nurture yourself before you get into a relationship, then you bring the best you into that relationship. You bring the best version of you into that relationship. The best you can do. Because we'll probably never be healed from everything. I think that's a lifelong process. But the best you can do. And if the relationship succeeds from that point on, because maybe they brought their best self in too, and you're willing to have open, honest, and sometimes very blunt communication, and just bring out the hard stuff and talk about it, then maybe it can be it can blossom into something wonderful. Or if you go into it with um, a lot of emotional triggers, and you're always going back and forth, and it turns into arguments, and there's, it's never productive, and it's very passive-aggressive then it's not fun. And then you tie love into all that, and now you have a mixture of pain and love. And then you don't want to leave because there's love, but it's also painful to stay, and it gets hard, and that's a whole other segment for a whole other time. So I want to thank this person who wrote the email. Thank you for that. And um, I know it's a hard time, but uh, like you said, you're doing the best you can with it, and you're in a good space. The way you wrote the letter is, you know what? It was hard. But I think it was the right thing to do. And that is the most important question to ask yourself. Is it right? Is it right for me? 
And you don't always go with your heart when you ask that question because sometimes your heart wants more and more. But sometimes you do go with your heart and go, well, how much pain is there if I'm in this relationship? And is there more pain than happiness? Is there more pain than love? Then I need to assess that. So it's a combination of things. It's your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, and just asking yourself the question, what's right for me? And what's right for the other person too? And what's in everyone's highest interest? It's hard to go against what you really want. But if you break it down and go, okay, I, I need to really think about all these aspects, then you get to a better decision. So again, thank you for that letter. And um, let's get into our next segment, which is another letter. This segment is not called Ask Paul. The next one is, but I just turned it into an Ask Paul sort of because I wanted to talk about that subject. Get ready to get ready for the next segment called Ask Paul. I'll be right back. All right, welcome to Ask Paul. This is where I read a listener email on the air, just like the last segment. But this is the official Ask Paul segment, and I do my best to answer a challenge. Um, This particular email isn't necessarily a question, but I do want to address uh, some of the points in this particular message. So I'm going to read you a little condensed version of this. This person is responding to one of my uh, newsletters, and she says, Thank you for this, Paul. I need to remind myself daily that I am valued. It is from your podcast that I learned the difference between self-esteem and self-worth. The bells went off when I heard that self-esteem is internal and self-worth comes from external sources. Unfortunately, the external source in my life has always been my immediate family. I am number eight of ten children and never felt that I was important. I could fill a book with the instances that highlight this in my life. From never learning how I feel, because I was never asked, to being told to not feel a certain way. As a result, I developed some serious anger issues. She goes on to say uh, a lot of stuff about her family. Uh, She has a pretty large family, and most of them don't treat her very well, and a lot of them have just written her off. She talks about how her um, family didn't make her feel worthy, how her mother didn't make her feel worthy, and she was looking for that. She was looking for that worthiness. And for many years now, it looks like she's not been communicating with her family. She says she misses them, but she's also happy to be away from the drama and their toxic behavior. She goes, I took to listening to your podcast to silence the conversations in my head, especially during my one-hour commute to and from work each day. I have learned a lot, and knowing what I know today makes it even harder to return to the family as I have yet to express myself directly. This is why I continue to attend anger management groups three-plus years later, as I fear what will happen when that day comes, if ever. Thanks for doing what you do. I particularly love how you end each podcast with, You are amazing. (laughs) Sincerely, Jill. And as you know, that's not her real name. Just had to make that clear. So Jill, this is an important message. I want to thank you for sharing this with me. And um, boy, you know, with family, you'd think they would be the ones that you could relate to most. I mean, everyone is in the same family and experiences the same things. So you'd think that would be a bonding thing. The problem is that we develop dysfunctions because of family. And then sometimes we don't get along with family or at least some members of our family. But I'm willing to bet that there is a source of that dysfunction in your family. I don't know if it was your mom or your dad or someone else, but typically there is one common denominator in a family that changes the entire dynamic and creates the dysfunction. I mean, it's not solely that source, but typically there is. In my family, it was my stepfather. He was an alcoholic. He passed out every night. He was hard to be around. And everyone was afraid of what he would do next. So all of our behavior would change depending on his behavior. He was definitely the common denominator. So who was the common denominator in your family? Again, it's not always one person, but most of the time it is. So who is that person that um, when you think about all the decisions that are made, maybe all the arguments you get into, does it stem from one person? 
I remember reading a book on Milton Erickson. He was a psychiatrist or psychotherapist, and he used hypnosis in his practice. He was one of the first that actually helped hypnosis become mainstream and acceptable in the medical field. So he he played a big role back then. And in a book that I was reading about him, he had this family come in, and the daughter was the problem, according to her parents. Her father would say something like, she never does what she she's told. She's always misbehaving. She's never listening to us. And the mom would corroborate. And, and then um, Dr. Erickson would be watching this family. I think she had a brother too and, and maybe another sister. I'm not sure. But it was, you know, just typical size family. And he was watching um, everyone talking about the daughter. And, but he would notice that when, I think it was the father, that when the father talked about her, there was something different in the way he talked about her, in his body language. There was just something different that Dr. Erickson was picking up. And he soon realized that this wasn't the daughter at all. It was the father. And nobody could see it. Nobody, nobody picked up on it. They all just thought that this daughter was acting out and there was nothing they could do. Well... Acting out can sometimes be a signal that there's something out of your control and you can't do anything about it and you don't like it and you are afraid or, or something. Acting out is a signal. And the signal was, it's my dad. And even she didn't know it was her dad, even though she had problems with her dad, but she didn't know that her dad was the source of the dysfunction in the entire family. It just so happened that the daughter was able to express herself more and put herself out there to the point where she was noticed because everyone in that family was developing or had developed dysfunctions because of the dad, because of one person's behavior. And typically it's a behavior that causes fear in other people. When you have a behavior that causes fear in your family or in your relationship, then it's going to develop dysfunctions. Not always, but I think for the most part, if you fear something, you develop behavior to alleviate or protect yourself so that you don't feel fear or so that you're protected from what you fear. In this particular example, it was the dad. And so um, I forget what he said. I, w- I wish I had the story in front of me, but Dr. Erickson looked at the dad and said something that the dad was shocked by. He was like, what? It's not me. I'm not doing this. And the daughter smiled <laughs> as if she was finally being validated, as if somebody from, uh, from the outside finally recognized what was really happening. And um, I think he just took his family and left. But it was really obvious to Dr. Erickson that the dad was the source of contention here. And whether he came back or not, I don't know. I'll have to find that story and read it to you on another show. But it's it's a really neat, um, he's got a lot of neat stories like that. It's not always what you think it is. Oh, yes, I have dysfunctional sisters and brothers, and they're all a problem. All right, how did they become a problem? When did it happen? Where did they learn that? What behavior are they doing that's problematic? And why are they doing that behavior? There's usually a source. That doesn't mean you excuse their behavior. It just means that you find out that it's not necessarily their fault. It's their responsibility for the behavior that they do nowadays. But where is it coming from? If, say, mom and dad weren't in the picture, would that behavior still be there? Now, it's learned behavior, so it might be. But if they were never in the picture, would it still be there? Would it be prevalent? So this is one of those things where if you have a, quote, dysfunctional family and it's hard to get along with almost anyone, yes, I think it's a good idea to separate yourself from them and be the best you can be and just be as honest and in integrity with yourself. So when your family looks at you, they're not going, well, you're in on this too. No, you're separating yourself from it. You realize all the toxicity in that relationship. So you get away from it. And if you've listened to my show before, you also realize that when family is toxic, it's best to be away from them. And if you think, yeah, but they're family, 
So what? The label of family isn't a permission slip to make you unhappy. It's just not how it works. I remember I received a comment once on one of my blog articles on this very topic of, hey, it's okay to get away from family. Even people that you think you're supposed to be close to just because they are family. And somebody wrote back and said, it doesn't matter if they're family, you should fight tooth and nail for them. You should protect them no matter what. You should honor them no matter what happens. And I was like, really? (laughs) So if you had a brother that stole from you and punched your girlfriend and um, robbed a bank, I mean, is there a limit? Is there a point where you go, I can't honor this family member. This family member doesn't honor me and doesn't honor a lot of other people either. That's where I draw the line. If my family doesn't honor me, then I won't honor them. And if I have family members that have problems or dysfunctions, like the type of dysfunctions that I grew up with, um, I don't automatically hold that against them because if they are honoring me, if they respect me, then I respect them. I'm actually very fortunate to have 98% of my family that I love and respect. And there's about 2% that I still love, but uh, I can't respect as much. (laughs) And there's probably about 1% that I sort of love and um, don't care if I ever see them again. But I do, but I don't. And then maybe there's that 0.5% that I really never want to see again. But uh, for the most part, you know, I get along with my family, but it doesn't mean you have to. It doesn't mean that you're always going to be able to, especially... And this is uh, Jill's comment, when they don't see your worth. If someone is not contributing to your worthiness, then maybe they shouldn't be in your life. If someone's contributing to making you feel bad about yourself, then definitely they shouldn't be in your life. Family members who make you feel bad about yourself, distance yourself from them. Because you are worthy. You are amazing. You absolutely deserve to be treated well. And you're brilliant. And I don't care if you even never finished high school. You're still brilliant. You still have the same type of brain that I have. And even if your brain is damaged or partial or missing, (laughs) you live in a brilliant body. You have a brilliant mind. And I'm saying this not because you might be book smart or you might have talent. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with what makes you up at the cellular level. Like you cut your hand on something. Your cells know what to do to repair that. That's what I mean is that we are brilliant beings. And we don't need textbooks to be brilliant. We're just automatically brilliant. Our cells already know what to do. We have to learn new things to, you know, survive in the world, make an income, find food, eat, get along with people. We have to learn these things, but we are intrinsically brilliant when we are born. We just have to add to that brilliance as we go. This is you. (laughs) This is you, who you are. And when someone doesn't see that brilliance that you are, then they probably aren't healthy for you. I mean, that doesn't mean that they're going to say, wow, you're brilliant. They don't have to say it. They just have to respect you and recognize your worth in any way, shape, or form. You know, that doesn't always work out. Sometimes you're at a job and somebody might not like what you're doing, so they'll fire you. It doesn't mean you're not worthy. It just means that you're not right for them. And these are things that you have to be more brilliant about. (laughs) You have to realize that, Hey, I wasn't right for that person. Hey, I wasn't right for that job. Or when you're broken up with in a relationship, like we talked about last segment. Hey, I wasn't right for that person. I wasn't right for that relationship. Or they weren't right for that relationship. So I had to leave them. Or whatever happened. Just because you're not in that relationship, just because you're not in that job, doesn't mean you're not brilliant. Doesn't mean you're not worthy. It just means that there's a better fit for you somewhere else. There's always a better fit somewhere else. Even when you're in the perfect fit now, the perfect relationship, the perfect job, the perfect place to live, there's still a better fit somewhere else. There's always something better. 
It's like when you meet the best singer in the world, you'll find someone better. It always happens. Now, you could go to the Olympics and say, yeah, but he's the fastest runner in the world. Or she. That's the fastest person in the world. How can there be anyone faster? There probably is. They just never entered the Olympics. I like that perspective. I think that's a good perspective to have. Because that means that if something, quote, bad happens, you get fired or you get broken up with, that you know that down the road you'll find a better fit. And you usually find a better fit because you shift inside of you. You heal. You grow. You learn. You evolve. Because you take the lessons from where you just were and hopefully you learn from those lessons. You process them and go, oh, so what I did last time, I shouldn't repeat. Good, okay, I won't. I won't do this and I won't do this. Like I stopped all my judgment issues as my marriage was ending. And uh, even though I couldn't stop the end of my marriage, I realized, oh, but I can stop being judgmental. I won't take that into my next relationship. And then the relationship I'm in now, she goes, you were judgmental? <laughs> I said, very. And she goes, I don't see it. I go, I know because I'm not it now, but I was. And she goes, if you were, I would have hated you. <laughs> and I said, you probably would have, yes. But I never brought that judgmental side of me into this relationship. I'm not saying it doesn't rear its ugly head every now and then, but I um, have to process it when it comes up. It's rare, but when it comes up, I process it, get through it, and do some healing and growing and learning and evolving, and then I feel better. Usually happens when I'm tired. I, th I think that's when dysfunction comes up, is when we're most tired and we just have no defenses up. And we realize, oh, so this is what still exists in me. When I'm tired, it comes out, oh, got it. That's what I need to work on. But it was funny because my girlfriend's like, you were judgmental. I can't see that in you. And I was like, I know, but I was. <laughs> That's who I was. Listen to my show. And she goes, nah, I don't want to listen to your show. <laughs> I hear enough of you at home. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> anyway, thank you for writing this letter, Jill. And I get this. And, and what you're doing for yourself is wonderful. You're going to anger management for like three years now. Great. And you've gotten yourself out of this toxic family. Great. Now, you did say something that you've been unable to express yourself directly. Now, I've heard this over and over again from many people, including my ex-wife, is that when there's anger in you, you're afraid of what's gonna, what it's going to look like if you have to express it one day. Like, are you going to be able to contain it? Is the anger going to come out so bad that you're going to be like the Hulk? <laughs> you're going to destroy everything in your path. From what I've seen, when you are finally able to express this anger or choose to express this anger, it's never as bad as you think. In fact, for the most part, it's all about honoring yourself in the moment. So if you come to a point where you do get a chance to express yourself, that anger is really probably just a buildup of wanting to honor yourself all these years. So what do you do when you honor yourself? You say and do things that are right for you that show others what your boundaries are and what is acceptable in your life and what's not. And so if that comes out in the form of everyone needs to shut up right now <laughs> or whatever it comes out in, it's still going to be productive in the sense that you're honoring yourself. Maybe everyone will not like it. Maybe everyone will want you to go away, but it doesn't matter because you're honoring, honoring yourself. So don't use the fear of what it might turn into as an excuse. I'm not saying you are, but if that comes down to it, if you get a chance to express yourself, like you said, directly with them, and you're worried of how this anger is going to come out, don't worry. I know it's easy to say, but the point is that anger is going to come out in the form of self-honoring typically and it is true you might say things that hurt other people but i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing all the time i mean since the relationship with your family is already kind of on the rocks then maybe they just need to hear what they need to hear but i get it i'm not telling you to do anything different than what you're doing now 
I think staying away from them is probably the best course of action and just stay away. But when it comes down to it and you're in the same room, you don't really necessarily have to let the anger build up. You can just honor yourself right then and there. If they say something that's not acceptable to you, you can just come back and be assertive. So maybe you can work on being more assertive, not necessarily releasing the anger. Because as you assert yourself, the anger will dissipate because assertion is honoring yourself. So maybe it's not a matter of just exploding. Like I said earlier, it's, maybe it's just a matter of just being more assertive in the moment before the anger builds up. And the anger will eventually dissipate. So that's it for that. Thank you again, Jill. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for replying to that um, message in the newsletter. I appreciate you. Welcome back. We have time for one more quick message. And this is from someone I'll call Sally. Hi, Paul. I want you to know that I look forward to your podcast every week. I've been listening to it for the last year, and I went back and listened to every single episode. Wow. Well, thank you, Sally. (laughs) Your podcast helped clear my overwhelmed brain. I recently released my ex-husband from the relationship. We were married for a little more than five years. He's a wonderful man, but he was unable to release his ex-wife this was a second marriage for both of us, from his and our lives. I struggled throughout the relationship because this is the mother of his adult children and I wanted to be fair. However, his connection with her caused me pain and anger. It felt like a three-way marriage. They often traveled to see their children together, I was not included, and they communicated together via phone, email, and text when I was not around. Needless to say, I felt disrespected and violated, but he made me feel like I was being selfish. He said it was appropriate for him to be close to her for the benefit of his children. I learned about personal boundaries in your podcast. The first time I heard you describe personal boundaries, my feelings were validated. That was the moment I knew that I had allowed things to go too far. At the time, I was seeing a therapist because I wanted to make the right decisions. So one day, everything fell into place. Between your show, the therapist, and his behavior, I knew what I wanted and I asked him for a divorce. I have never regretted my decision. It has been almost a year and I'm alone and happy even though I miss having someone to talk to sometimes. I don't know if I'll ever find someone or even if I want someone in my life at this point. So my question is, I am interested to know what you think an appropriate relationship with an ex is. Thanks, Paul, and keep up the good work. All right. Sally, um, congratulations. Uh, That must have been a tough choice. And I'm sorry you had to go through what you went through. Having a spouse who has to communicate with their ex because of children can be challenging, but it can also work. So your question regarding maybe what you went through, um, I have a pretty quick answer. The appropriateness of a relationship is determined by the person in your current relationship. In other words, if I still talked with my ex and my girlfriend said, it makes me uncomfortable when you talk with your ex, I would say, great, I'll stop talking with her. Not everyone agrees with that. A lot of people say, yeah, but my ex is my best friend and we talk all the time and it's, it's harmless and we're never going to get back together again. And I'm perfectly okay with that. But anything that disintegrates my current relationship, I will be more prone to get rid of in my life. I mean, I remember um, when I was married, I still had conversations with my ex-girlfriend. And um, my wife's like, why are you talking to your ex-girlfriend? This is actually before I was married, but we were still engaged, I think. And I was like, Um, I don't know. We're just talking about stuff. She's asking me uh, computer questions and things like that. I said, it's harmless. And she goes, well, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't think you should talk to your ex-girlfriend. I was like, really? Why does it make you uncomfortable? She goes, because I want your time and energy to be with me, not with someone else, especially an ex. She had her chance. Oh, uh, okay. So I came to the decision and I wrote my ex and I said, I'm not going to be um, communicating with you anymore. I didn't say it exactly in those words, but I just said, no, I don't, I don't want to ruin what I have now, and I want to blossom what I have now into something wonderful. And so I, I chose to 
stop communicating with my ex. Everyone doesn't have to make this choice. Because if you're comfortable with your husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend talking with their ex, it's perfectly fine, especially if it's innocent. My girlfriend still has friends that were exes. She doesn't really want to talk to most of them. But when she does, I don't think twice about it. It's not disintegrating our relationship. It doesn't cut into our emotional connection. And I think that's where determination needs to be made in you. If you have someone that's talking to their ex or communicating with them in some way, and it's cutting into your emotional connection with them, then that, that has to be addressed. I'm not saying that you have to say, stop talking with them, but it just has to be addressed. You have to come to a place of, you know, when you talk to her or him, it makes me uncomfortable. And then they might say, well, that's too bad. <laughs> or they might say, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that was making you uncomfortable. Do you want me to stop? I mean, it depends on who they are and where they are. But some people are very comfortable with their exes as friends. And that's fine. So like I said before, this is going to be highly dependent on how much it's affecting your current relationship. And if it's affecting your emotional connection with the person you're with, then it has to be addressed because it, it probably won't go away. And it also depends on the person you're with. They may have no problem with you talking to your exes because maybe there is a lot of trust. And that's another issue. It's like, do you trust your partner to be able to talk with an ex without getting all freaky? I mean them, getting freaky with their ex-partner. Freaky is as in the... Uh, I don't know, the um, house music term, <laughs> getting freaky with your partner. No, as long as they're not, you know, getting intimate or sharing very personal things, like where it turns into an emotional affair, that's a problem. That's a big problem. When they're, when they're sharing stories or telling them private things about you, that can be a big problem because now there's emotions going on. Like, hey, let me tell you what my girlfriend did that made me angry. And now he or she is sharing things with their ex that was supposed to be private with you. That can get a little hairy. So it really depends on your comfort level. If you're comfortable with it, then it's perfectly fine. If you're not, then it needs to be addressed. And if you're really not, and they refuse to stop talking with their exes, and you refuse to accept it, then maybe you need to take a bigger step. I don't know. But uh, you asked for my opinion. And that's what it is. So if, if this was happening to me, if my girlfriend was talking to an ex a lot and I didn't like the way she talked to him or what she said to him, or if they were talking about, especially if they were talking about like problems between her and I with him, that would bother me. That would be more emotional connection than I want her to have with him. Sure, they shared something once, but you know what? He had his chance. <laughs> And so did she. She had his chance. They had their chance together. And now I want my chance with her. So that's just my opinion. It's not an absolute. You don't have to follow that. Or, or maybe you might want to. Um, in the case with children, you know, my girlfriend has a child with her ex. And they do talk a lot. Um, but not as friends. They don't call up and chat. It's always about the kid. It's always about their son. And that's fine with me because they have to make decisions that involve their son. Now, your question was about adult children. Adult children that are already on their own? I mean, is there any reason for them to keep communicating about their adult children? I mean, the situation you described to me would make me uncomfortable. If they wanted to see their kids, I'm going with you. <laughs> if my girlfriend wanted to go see her kid and her ex-husband wanted to go see her kid and you know he was living in some other state and they said, well, it would be easier if we just visited, and visited him together. I'd be like, no, I'm going with you. <laughs> I will go with you, but you guys don't have to go together. You had your chance. You could have been a, a, a family. This is not a family thing anymore. You are a parent to that child and he is a parent to that child. And it's great that you get along. I would rather have you get along than not. But now you're planning special trips together and doing all these family things together. I personally have a problem with it. Maybe I'm not mature enough. Maybe I'm not enlightened enough 
Maybe other people out there have the best types of relationships. But again, it really all depends on your current relationship and if it's an acceptable thing. Because when it comes down to it, if my girlfriend said, yeah, when you talk with your ex-girlfriend or your ex-wife, I feel very uncomfortable. I feel like um, you're taking something away from us. I would be like, then I won't. I won't do it anymore. Now, if it's unreasonable, like, I never want you to talk to her ever again. Then I'd be like, whoa, what's going on here? You don't trust me? I mean, wh why are you saying this and why are you so angry? But she doesn't do that. My girlfriend has no problem with me talking to any of my exes because there's a lot of trust and I don't spend excessive amounts of time talking with them. In fact, I haven't talked to any of my exes in probably two and a half years. It's been a long time. So if one just happened to write or call out of the blue, I would probably talk with them. But if they called weekly, it might be a little issue. I don't know. She probably, my girlfriend probably wouldn't care. So again, this really comes back to what's acceptable in your relationship. And uh, I personally prefer to put all my time and energy and emotional connection with the person I'm with, not with the person that I already had my chance with. Sure, we can be friends. Sure, we can talk. But um, it's going to be rare. There's my personal opinion. I hope that helps you. Thanks for listening to the show. And thanks for sharing that. That was a challenge for you, I'm sure. But I'm glad you're doing what's right for you and what you need to do. And this goes along with the very first segment of the show as well, where, you know, the breakup has to come sometimes for the right reasons, even though it hurts. And I'm so glad that you're happy. And you said the right things. I'm alone, but I'm happy. But I do miss have someone to talk to sometimes. Yeah, I get it. There's people you can reach out to and talk with, but I get it. It's nice to have someone in your life, but, you know... Go through this process of alone time, nurture yourself, and you'll be just fine. Thank you again. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for listening to the show. Let's thank a few more people, and I'll tell you my final thoughts, and then we'll call it a day. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And to end the show, I'm going to read one more message. It's really quick, I promise. But it has to do with everything that we're talking about today on relationships and breaking up and the death of a relationship uh, and also what happens when you get to a place of nurturing yourself and you're ready for the next one. I mean, that's what nurturing yourself is really all about. You're getting ready for the next great thing in your life. It doesn't mean that you have to have a relationship but you do the work on yourself. You nurture and support yourself so that you're ready for anything that comes along. And I received an email that said, um, thank you, Paul, for your response to my letter. You referred to me as, now she wrote the word slain, S-L-A-I-N. <laughs> so apparently I had an episode where I referred to her as someone's name, but I have a feeling spell check changed <laughs> the name she wrote in this letter. So Hopefully, I didn't refer to you as slain, but she says, you referred to me as slain, uh, maybe it was Jane, I don't know, on today's show. Your response was spot on, and I wanted to update you on my relationship. My long-distance relationship ended 10 weeks ago, and I met someone who lives only an hour away. This new relationship, well, let's just say there's absolutely no way I could manage a long-distance relationship with this man. In fact, the connection I share with him is like nothing I've ever known. It's as though we've always known each other, and I'm so grateful to have him in my life. We've met each other's kids, and we're even planning a future together. The intensity of our connection and the sheer number of hours that we've shared is incredible. I'm a very lucky girl indeed. Thank you for your feedback. I really enjoy your show, and I've even tried to put my ex onto it. Great. I, I hope it helps him. <laughs> and thank you for sharing this. I wanted to end the show with this message because this is what can happen. We think we're in the best relationship we can get. We think that we've got the best person in our life, that there's nothing better than this. And then we go through a, a hard breakup. And then later on, we meet someone else who's better. Not a better person, but a different person, better for us. It doesn't mean it um, invalidates them at all or 
they're not worthy of us. It's just that sometimes we don't fit with people. I wouldn't fit with my girlfriend if she blared country music at 3 a.m. every day. <laughs> it just wouldn't work. But if she did love that, I wouldn't, so I would probably have to get out of it. But if she did love that, she would meet someone who also loved that, and they would be a good fit together. But that doesn't mean I'm a bad person, that I'm not worthy of her. It doesn't mean any of that. Don't take it personally. You have to take it for what it is. Sometimes the compatibility isn't there. Sometimes there's toxicity in there because of the dysfunctions that you bring in, because of the dysfunctions that they bring in. Maybe your behavior is just not acceptable to them. Not that your behavior is bad. It's just we're so different. You can't take a metric socket wrench and stick it on an American nut. That's an obscure reference. Only a quarter of the audience will get that. But the idea is that metric comes in millimeters and American sizes are in inches. So if you took a 10... I forget it. I don't want to explain that. (laughs) The idea is that sometimes things don't fit. I mean, there's so many ways to be incompatible. The fact that we're compatible with anyone blows my mind, honestly. Yes, there's physical compatibilities. My body fits with your body and it works great. But what about all the emotional compatibilities? There are some people that are more toned down. They're more muted with their emotions. And then they meet someone who's overly emotional and and very animated in a lot of ways. And then they get together and they can balance each other out or they can drive each other crazy. (laughs) There's so many complexities to the way we communicate, the way we live together, the, the way we work together. Even our expectations of the other person, our needs and our wants, are they all met? And just because they're not, if they're not, then it doesn't mean the other person's bad. It doesn't mean the other person's unworthy. It doesn't mean you're unworthy. It just means the pieces don't fit. In the case of the person who wrote this letter, she was in this long-distance relationship and she thought the pieces fit perfectly. And then she found out they couldn't. There was a lot of distance between them. They could barely see each other. When they did, it was great, but some of the pieces were missing. The piece of being closer so they could see each other more. That piece was missing. And this could go into your spiritual beliefs too. What if you had a spiritual belief that said, if it's the right person, everything will work out. Imagine that. Adopt that. Make that a philosophy. If it's the right person, it will work out. That's my philosophy. I'm not saying it's true. I just adopt it. I choose to believe it. That way, if I'm ever down in the dumps, (laughs) I can refer back to that philosophy and go, well, if it's the right person, it'll work out. And so these people that I thought were the right person never worked out, so they weren't the right person. They were the right person for a certain period of time because I had to get through that period of my life and learn the lessons I did. And now I'm with the right person, at least today, (laughs) and hopefully for the rest of my life. I want to stay with the right person. But, you know, not being attached is a healthy perspective. That way you're not always trying to make it work. It just works. Because I do believe that if it's meant to work, it's going to work. If it's the right person, it's going to work. And what if you're not in a relationship now? What if you've been single a while? How do you get the next right relationship? Well, you can start by keeping your mind open and stepping into your power. And be firm in your decisions and actions so that people see you for who you really are people see the real you and by doing that you get to create the life you want by taking steps to always grow and evolve yourself people are going to be attracted to that because you're powerful beyond measure and above all of that and this is something i absolutely know to be true about you you are amazing Thank you.